For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I have this morning um, a very simple message, which I intend to explain very simply. (laughs) And the reason for this is because it's such an important message that if you fail to grasp it, you've kind of missed the whole kahuna. (laughs) Everything about the gospel and the Christian life depends on the truth that we heard in God's word this morning in Ephesians chapter 2, specifically in verse 8. By grace you have been saved through faith. So I want very simply to unpack that. And I think the first work to be done is this verse is full of churchy words, which when we hear as churchy words, we really miss the meat of what the Holy Spirit is speaking through St. Paul. Uh, So I want to begin, with any, as we would in any case like this, uh, just by defining our terms. So when it says, by grace you've been saved, saved always implies saved from something, right? Saved meaning like rescued, you're always rescued from something. So, not a rhetorical question, what are we saved from? Sin, Sin. yeah. From sin, what else are we saved from? Damnation. Damnation, yeah. Did someone say death? Yeah, sin, the consequences of sin, which is ultimately to be put away from God forever, which is damnation. Death, that's everything. Those are the things we're saved from, right? And grace, uh, the Greek word here is charis, uh, not charis hinsen, um, but... But just Karis, from whom I'm, I know that Karis is named. Uh, grace in Greek is one of those really rich words. And I was trying to think of what in English is a sort of similarly rich word. And the best I could come up with is the word country. <laughs> Which, if you think about it, has several meanings depending on context. But all of those meanings are interrelated. So country, right, could mean as opposed to city, right? Like fields and pastures and forests, like the country. It could mean the music, country music, which happens to sort of come out from and be popular in the country. And it could also mean nation, right? Like, uh, what country do you live in? I live in the United States. Um, and that meaning, too, is not disconnected, right? Because the sort of the, um, the roots, the sort of symbols of a, of a nation are really found in its rural culture and in sort of the produce that that produces. So the word country means a lot of things, but they all kind of like are intertwined, right? Do you see how that's true with that English word? Yeah? Not really. Okay. Um, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> it's the same thing with Greek, that the word charis, the word that we translate as grace, it, it has m- multiple, multiple sort of layers of meaning unpacked, but chief and first and foremost of all, it means the, the unmerited goodwill and favor and, and benevolence of a gift giver. That's what grace really means. And we still use that word, you know, he's a very gracious person. It means that they are sort of inclined to be sort of generous in giving. And when it's applied to God, God who is grace, God who is gracious, right, we, this expands to sort of this infinite level, right? He is giving us gifts out of the, his own goodness, entirely unmerited by us. It's just his favor and kindness towards us. And that favor isn't just sort of some objective, some sort of feeling that he harbors within himself far away from us. It manifests in the giving of gifts. And the word gift in the New Testament comes from the word for grace. Because of his love for us, his 
his benevolence, his kindness, he has chosen to give us gifts. He gives us those gifts, you know, chiefly, first and foremost of all, centrally in the whole universe, the gift of his son, right? Jesus, who died on the cross, which we, we will be remembering in painful detail in a few weeks' time as we approach Holy Week. But he gave the gift of his son to be a sacrifice for our sins, for our salvation. And then through his son, he continues to give us many gifts, and we'll come to that in a little bit. But even the word grace can sometimes even mean um, the right response to these gifts. Just in terms of this rich word in the New Testament, that if having been given a free gift from a benevolent giver, the response that should be elicited in us, even that is called grace in, in Greek. So it's this, it's this wonderful word. There's not a lot of... The New Testament, Greek translates wonderfully into English. Most words just go right one-to-one. But there are a few words which are so rich that they're worth kind of looking at the original language. And grace is one of those. Okay, so having defined our terms a bit, right? This very simple verse, I assume it's well known to most of you, gets a bit more flesh. By grace, because of the sort of unmerited favor, the kindness, the benevolence of God, you have been saved from sin and the consequences of sin and the damnation that would be a part of that. By grace, you have been saved. And of course, there's one third component here, right? You've been saved by grace through faith. That's sort of the final piece, through faith. And so the question comes in in terms of interpreting that. Okay, like saved by grace, got it. Where does the faith piece come in? Um, I have a very, uh, I have a gimmick <laughs> this morning, which, I have, which is exceedingly simple. But again, it's one of these things where if we don't get this right, we miss the gospel. So I actually need two volunteers. I don't usually do this for a sermon, um, but I can't go on in a sermon until I have two volunteers. So would two people come forward? You can be any age. Okay, yeah, would you come forward? It's Monica, right? <laughs> Monica Paul, awesome. Okay, Paul, you stand right here. Uh, Monica, you can, is it Monica? Yeah, yeah you can stand right here. Paul, here you go, you know these. Okay, so for the purposes of this illustration, Paul, you're going to be representing God. And for the purposes of this illustration, you're going to be representing a human being, which I think you can play very well. But there's one hitch. I need you to put your hands behind your back. And come a bit closer to Paul. And you can't put your hands forward until I say, okay, you just got to keep them back there. Okay. okay, Paul, um, I'd like you to give a gift, these gifts, in fact, to Monica. Do your best. Try, I mean, actually, try and give her a gift. Do your best. I mean, it's impossible, but try. <laughs> it's failing, right? Okay, Monica, extend it. Okay, now I'll give this gift to Monica. Ta-da! <laughs> Yay! Um, I wish there were actually great gifts in there for you, but it's actually just like a can of beans and stuff. But the purpose of the illustration, the hands that Monica extended, um, that is the hand of faith. But that's how we make sense of the theological truth of this verse. God has gifts to give us, and we receive them through faith. Okay. Very well done. Thank you for, uh, for going for that. Um, you can tell that I wrap these and not carry. <laughs> um, very simple, and yet how prone are we to mistake these deep truths and get it wrong? Because in this case, it's so abundantly clear, right? It would be actually be insulting for me to even ask the rhetorical question of who gets the credit for the gift giving? God, right? The, God gets the credit for the gift giving. Did the recipient do anything to earn it? No. That's the sort of the big thing Paul is just driving home. The Holy Spirit is driving home to us, speaking through his servant St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. 
that all is gift. Even when he describes this dynamic of faith being the receiving hand, he then steps back and says, this, none of this whole thing, none of this is of your own doing. It's the gift of God. So I hope you can see how this sermon ties in to last week's sermon. That nothing good comes from us. Everything about our salvation, it entirely comes from God. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. We, um, Paul, earlier in the same, same section in verse 5, he says, when we were dead in our trespasses, God brought us this salvation. And it's worth teasing that out. Can a, is a dead man able to do anything or, res, or sort of merit anything? No, it's just a corpse in the ground. And that's the same degree to which Paul is saying, like, you didn't do anything to sort of earn this favor. And when we hear this verse, as I know most of you have been in the church a long time, you've probably heard a lot of sermons on this verse, I think the tendency, and rightly so, is to sort of first interpret it as being about when we came into salvation, when we, were, when we first sort of had faith for ourselves, when we were brought to the waters of baptism, whatever sort of you think of as, or wherever in sort of the, the complex of things that God's given us that bring us into his salvation. We think about it as sort of, oh yeah, it's a past event. Like, right, by grace I've been saved, right, because it's past tense. But if you notice in this passage from Ephesians, Paul's using the past tense kind of in a unique way, right? He says, you've been raised with Christ. And I don't know about you, but I have been raised spiritually, but my body still has not been raised. But he's assuming, he's sort of speaking, saying, these things are so guaranteed, so final and real, that I can just speak about them in the past tense. You have been seated at the right hand of God with Jesus Christ. Like he's using the past tense, but he's describing things that in lived life are still ongoing. And I think it's the same thing with salvation, which in the New Testament is often spoken with in the past tense, present tense, and future tense. Actually, if you do a word breakdown, future tense is actually the most common. Um, So even though this verse absolutely applies to when we became Christians, um, this dynamic of it being entirely the gift of God is at play in every aspect of the Christian life, not just in the past but in the present and ongoing. So just to tease out sort of, the, the, sort of the, the many, many layers of the gifts that God has given us, and I hope you can see the heart of the giver in such quantity of gifts. So before any of us were born, right, 2,000 years ago, God gave the gift of his son, both becoming incarnate and then offering himself on the cross for our sake. When you were born... Or at some point in your, I mean, at some point in the course of your life, but in the past from today, God orchestrated someone to share the gospel with you. Like none of you invented the gospel on your own. Someone brought it to you, and that was a gift that God orchestrated to give you the gift of the gospel. Maybe if you were blessed to be raised in a Christian home, maybe a friend shared the gospel when you were an adult. Either way, God brought you the gift of just hearing the gospel, and then the ability to receive it the very ability to stretch out the hands and receive that gospel and come to him in faith and come to the waters of baptism. No one baptizes themselves, right? God uses his, the church as his instrument, as a means of giving his own gifts through baptism. And then up to this present moment, um, the very ability to keep believing, the fact that right now you have some trust in Jesus Christ, is a gift from him. Like, we're not just sort of generating that on our own. That's the Holy Spirit that he's placed in you, bringing forth that gift of God, the gift of faith. I've got a handful of many friends who are really struggling with faith, and for many years I've tried to, like, argue and kind of discourse with them about, like, oh, why they should believe and whatever. And 
what I've really come to understand is faith is a gift and you have to ask for it. And so what I've started saying to my friends is, look, I understand you don't believe these things right now. Uh, if you actually want to believe in any way, even a trace, ask God for the gift of faith. Just start praying, God, if you're there, please give me the gift of faith. Please give me faith that I might believe. That's a prayer I think over time God answers and is what really allows faith to bloom. So the very fact we are believing is evidence of God's gift to us. The ability to repent, right? this sort of theme that we really lean into as a church in Lent, like hearing the Ten Commandments every Sunday and this confession and you know, all, these, um, all that we're about to go into in Holy Week in a couple of weeks' time. The ability to repent is a gift of God. It's not our own sort of brilliant intuition that discerns sins and has the will to turn from it and seeks to, seeks to please God. That's a gift from God as well. Uh, and I'm, I'm really, the reason I'm sort of belaboring the point so heavily is I think one of the dangers of living in the midst of like a, a church with liturgical life is that we might think through our own exertions in the liturgies and prayers and self-disciplines and denials. The temptation of our flesh is always to say, oh yeah, now I'm really earning God's favor, which would be a very, very grave mistake. Uh, both uh, it would besmirch the reality that you have not earned it, that it is from God, and it would be taking away his glory to claim it for ourselves. The last uh, arena of where this dynamic is at play, of God giving us gifts, um, is at play in what the sort of in our tradition we call uh, the means of grace. That God's given us a handful of things where we can actually come and receive gifts from him. Grace being there in the sense of like specific gifts. The means of laying hold of the kindness and the mercy he desires to show us. The three chief means of grace are the hearing of the Holy Word, prayer, and the receiving of communion. There's others. You could kind of make a slightly longer list, but those are the three big ones which we're interacting with regularly. In each of these things, before we've done anything, God is presenting a gift to us, right? By speaking through his apostles and prophets uh, and giving us his Holy Word, he has a message for us that we come to receive. When we come to him in prayer, Romans chapter 8, if you did your homework last week, says it's the spirit that prays in us. Right? It's actually the gift of God that allows us to pray. Uh, and in the sacrament too, we aren't just sort of generating some spiritual experience on our own muster. God himself is actually presenting us with his own gifts, the spiritual presence of his son, of his body and blood, in bread and wine. He's actually presenting us with, with this gift. And the question with all of these things, with the hearing of the word, with our prayers, with coming to the sacrament, the question that is sort of of most moment in terms of as we sort of examine our own hearts and sort of seek to live out the Christian life, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, is are we coming with the hands of faith to these gifts that God is giving? Because another danger of sort of our liturgical, traditional life together is to think that these means of grace operate by magic, like apart from our wills. Like if we just take communion, God's just going to sanctify us and I don't have to have anything to do with it in my faith or in my heart and mind. Um, that's magic, not, not a sacrament. And God is not in the business of magic. He's given us sacraments. And sacraments, we avail ourselves to any means of grace. We avail ourselves according in the proportion with which we come to him in faith. So if we come, you know, when we hear the scripture read, if we come thinking, okay, just read on, <laughs> how much do you think you're going to get out of this gift? 
None. It's like having your hands behind your back. But if we come to the scriptures on our own, to the scriptures when we gather together, saying, Lord, I need to hear from you. Your word says I can't live by human food alone. I actually need to hear. In fact, I'd like to hear from you. Please, you know, we stretch out our hands. Lord, I believe you're, you're real and you're still speaking and you have a word for me today. Please feed me with your word. I guarantee you, over time, maybe not every Sunday, it's not magic, but I guarantee you over time, you will receive much more nourishment from the gift of God. You actually will be able to receive the gifts because you don't have sort of one hand sort of sneakily held out, like, okay, I'm interested in a little bit of gift. The more we have our hands stuck out, the more we can receive. And the gift doesn't change, right? The word is life-giving. The sacrament is life-giving. But how life-giving they are for us well, it depends on how much faith we are actually sort of coming to God with. Same thing with communion. If we are sort of coming sort of blase, haphazardly, like, okay, yeah, it's just what we do. We just kind of file forward and get the bread. Um, it's unlikely, not impossible, because God mercifully breaks through our hard-heartedness and can actually burst beyond the bounds of our faith. But in general, we are actually sort of restricting the channel through which God is wanting to bless us with more of his gifts out of the goodness of his own heart for us. So as you come to the sacrament today, and this is sort of why we heard that collect and the, and the feeding of 5,000 in John, I really encourage you to, to come with the, arms of, with the hands of faith. And these, again, this is not something we generate on our own. If you sort of feel like this morning, ah, my faith isn't, does not feel oh, hot and alive, ask for more. This is something we need to ask for. Lord, give me more faith. Help me to trust in you as my only saviour. Help me to believe your word that says you will feed us and minister to us through this sacrament. And come to him with that faith, and he will honour that. He'll give you the gift of faith, which is the hand to receive, and then he'll give you another gift through that faith. It's gift on all sides. If it sounds sort of complex, like it's gifting at every level, it is. That's the point I really want to drive home. It's not our undoing, it's the gift of God. Paul actually warns sort of on the flip side when he writes to the Corinthians, second letter, chapter 6, verse 1. He says, do not receive the grace of God in vain. And I think that he's giving a picture of sort of, don't come in before the gifts of God with your hands behind your back. Actually come to him longing for more of his, an experience, uh, more of his saving life to be imparted to us. Again, not because of anything we've earned, but out of the goodness of his character. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Amen.